so grateful for our music this morning, and, and you'll hear more about that in a few minutes. But we have just been so blessed uh, by the truths and the performance of, of the uh, theology that we found in the Scripture here today and in the singing of God's Word. And so Hebrews chapter 2 is where we find ourselves, and I am just, can you tell I'm excited? I'm pretty pumped to be here this morning. Glad to be back in the book of Hebrews. I'm glad to be back with you. Broken and brokenness is a fitting word as a description of our world. Uh, it's broken. This world is a miraculous place. Uh, e- even if you don't believe that there's a God, if you, if you don't believe that there's a God, you have to explain the fact that we're here at some level. So, so do people who believe in God. And those of us who believe in God believe that there was a God who eternally existed and that this uncaused was the cause of everything, that he's the designer and creator of the world. If you don't believe there's a God, then you have to believe that nothing created everything. And that's a really hard position to take. Nothing never made anything. Who agrees with me? Hey, that's cool. Nothing made nothing. Don't think about that too long. Uh, But we know that our world is not perfect. Our world is broken. But the way the world works is incredible, but even still it's broken. Pain and suffering come from this brokenness, sickness, pain, and yes, ultimately death is evidence of the brokenness of our world. And, And it shows up all the time. I didn't watch the game on Monday night, but it showed, death showed up on Monday night at the game. Who knows what I'm talking about? We saw it displayed on our TV screens and something as every day as a football game. A young, seemingly healthy man makes a routine tackle, stands up, and then falls over with what I understand is a pretty bad cardiac arrest. Death shows up at the game. And players who were once kneeling in controversy before are now kneeling in a different way, praying to a God they hope that's there in this moment of crisis. Because when death shows up, a lot of people become theistic. And I'm one of them. Who here prays when things are going bad? Yeah. I don't always pray when things are going good, but I definitely pray when things are going bad. Can I get an amen, right? The circumstances get really very real in a moment when death shows up. You had, you had players kneeling, coaches, even a television announcer who at any other time probably would have gotten in trouble for praying, and he stops and prays. It's pretty amazing. In that moment, there was an admission, at least through a prayer, that we as human beings do not control everything. That death is a problem, and that hopefully somewhere in the heavens, there's an answer. And I, I am here today to tell you the good news that God has answered. God has given us an answer. <laughs> he answered in history. Man's relationship with him is broken. Yet the message of the Bible, and as we have seen from our study in these first two chapters in Hebrews, the, the message of the Bible is that God has done something to restore 
the broken relationship that he has with man. We started this series in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, that says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, in times past spake unto his fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, by whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, pay attention to those words today, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty and high, being made so much better than the angels, as he by inheritance obtained a more better name than they. God revealed himself at one time in the past by the prophets. He revealed himself in the Old Testament and creation. But in these last days, in real time, in history, he showed us who he was. He revealed himself through his son. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he became a man to provide a way of salvation. The author of Hebrews warns us then about neglecting this revelation, neglecting this salvation that's been offered through the person of Jesus Christ. He warns us that if he's done all this, in fact, let's just read it. Look at chapter 2. We've already studied this. I'm making you think back to December and November. We're going to have a lot of fun together. But I'm reminding you here in Hebrews chapter 2 what he says. After making this case that God has revealed himself through his Son, that this revelation was better than those prophets, was, be- was better than the angels. He's made better than the angels. He said this, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? if we neglect so great salvation. I hope that what you've got out of this study so far is this. God did something incredible. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And he used all of history to make it clear to us that this Jesus that came was the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again for the dead. And that's his provision for us in salvation. And if he did this, How in the world are we going to make it if we neglect what's been done? If we neglect the fact that God has showed up in history and died on the cross to purge our sins and is now sitting on the right hand of God, he goes on to say, look, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? Who, Who gave us this plan? The Lord did and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Who is that? Those are his apostles. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. He's saying God confirmed his messengers that he sent, those apostles who wrote the New Testament, and he confirmed that they were from him just like he confirmed that the Lord was of him because of signs and wonders and miracles that they did. So that that we would know that the testimony that they gave is true. That Jesus really did come, really did live, and really did die. And so God has answered this brokenness. 
this sin problem, this, this death problem. There's an answer to those kneeling NFL players. Maybe God won't necessarily save that man in that physical sense, but God has already provided a way of salvation in the spiritual sense. And there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? God has answered. He's answered in history. There's an answer for death. There's an answer for brokenness. There's an answer for the brokenness that we experience in our relationships with each other. Have you ever noticed that relationships get broken? When this isn't right, often this isn't right. Anybody here ever experienced bad relationships? Pain in relationships? Man, I remember dating my first girlfriend and then her breaking up with me and I was devastated in a way that I hadn't been before. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Puppy love hurts to a puppy. Right? When, the, when, when puppies break up with each other, it's not fun. And you laugh, but I, I cried. Like, it was tough. And I told Megan, listen, if you leave me, I'm going with you. <laughs> right? This is forever, right? This is, a, this is till death do us part. You're, you're stuck, is what I told her. Amen? Because there's brokenness in our relationships. I've been here two years, and 99% of my relationships here have been great, but there have been relationships, even in among this church of people. I'm just being honest and transparent with you. Not everybody loves me. Not everybody gets along with me all the time, right? And I'm not trying to, you've experienced it too, right? Brokenness. And there's brokenness in our relationship with God outside of Christ. But God gave an answer to that. God has brought about the opportunity for restoration. And, th and that's what the author of Hebrews begins to talk about even today. The author of Hebrews is trying to show us that Jesus is greater. Jesus, Jesus is greater. Je do you believe it? You love Jesus? I hope you love Jesus. Jesus is greater. He is supreme in every way. He wants, this author of Hebrews, through the Holy Spirit, wants us to see the answer to this brokenness. He wants us to see how that God will fix the brokenness. And so my job today, as has been tasked with me from the author of Hebrews and from the Holy Spirit, is to tell you that Jesus Christ is supreme in every way. Look at what he accomplished through salvation by seeing three stages here of man's relationship to God that he refers to in our, in our text. My text today is Hebrews chapter 2, verses Five, and I believe we'll probably end down uh, through verse 12 or 13. The first stage that I want to point out to you that he brings up here is this idea of glory removed. Stage one is glory removed. Look at verse 5. Here we come to our text. For unto the angels he hath not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. Now, are you guys ready to study the Bible? That's where we're at, okay? I'm going to help, under, help you understand verse 5. There's three questions you've got to ask of the text. Really, good Bible interpretation is just asking the right questions of the text and getting the right answers from the text, okay? Who is he? Well, well he here in the verse, for unto 
the angels hath he put not in subjection. He here is referring to God the Father as he's the last one mentioned in verse 4. It's good to get your answers from the text itself, right? In verse 4, he says, God also bearing them witness. God, talking about God the Father, also bearing them witness, talking about those apostles through signs and wonders through the Holy Spirit. So here when he says he, he's referring to God the Father as he was the last one mentioned in verse 4. What subjection? For unto the angels hath he put, not put in subjection. Subjection here speaks of a stewarded authority. It speaks of a ruling authority. And I'll give you more explanation of that as we go, because you'll see it later on the text. And then, and then he says the world to come. And he says that's where we speak. So what's the world to come? What is he? It's God the Father. What is subjection? A stewarded authority. A stewardship. What's the world to come? Here the word translated world is not cosmos like what we find in John 3.16. The word is oikumene, and when you see it translated in Scripture, it's often translated as the inhabited earth. This is not a reference to heaven, but the coming earthly reign which we know as the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth and beyond in the new heavens and new earth foreseen by John in Revelation. The point then that the author is making is that the angels were not given a stewardship of ruling and stewarding this created planet and age. That stewardship was given to mankind. We know this because it, we know it from Genesis chapter 1 and what's called the dominion mandate. At right in the first chapter of Genesis, in verse 26, it says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image, in, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the sea, over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth of, over the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. Do you see that word, subdue it? And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, or for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fellow of the air, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. When God made it, it was perfect. It worked exactly how it was supposed to work. And he gave dominion to mankind over it. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we see that God, gave, God gives the mandate to subdue and subjugate the earth to mankind. We have a stewardship of the earth. We have a kind of dominion over it. And, and, and I say Paul, it's the author of Hebrews. The Holy Spirit is saying that is something that's been given to mankind that was not given to angels. Now you're like, why is he talking about angels? To make this point, the author goes on to quote scripture, and this is why we read what we read today in our, in our scripture reading in the, earlier in the, in, the, uh, in the service. He reads read in verse 6, But one in a certain place testified, saying, we're back in Hebrews, 
chapter 2, verse 6. Now Hebrews is quoting, he says, in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crowned him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the work of thy hands. Okay, keep up with me. Here we go. The one in a certain place is the psalmist who happens to be David. David wrote Psalm chapter number 8. And this quote comes from this psalm of praise to God. The biblical pattern for music is that it be richly theological and scriptural, and that's what we see here. David is pointing out the contrast between the immensity and grandeur of the person of God and the smallness of mankind. Did you know God's infinite? He's infinite. There is no beginning and no end. Think about this. God knows everything. Everything. He knows, the Bible says the number of your head, the, heads on your, the hairs on your head are numbered. Man, that was tough to say. <laughs> the hairs on your head are numbered. You know what that means? Like even the most mundane facts about us, God knows it. God knows, it. God knows, God knows think about this. I'm just going to make something up. God knows how many people wore red in July of 1483. Isn't that weird? God knows it. Who agrees? There's a lot to know. Yeah. God knows everything. How much do you know? Even the smartest person you know that has the most, we don't need to know much anymore. That's why God made Google. <laughs> Google's ruined a lot of conversations, haven't they? You know, you just search for what we're talking about, right? My point is there's a lot to know. God knows everything. How much comparatively do you know? Like nothing. God's huge. He is big, we are small. He is infinite, we are very finite. One commentator said this, are you something at times you or I probably doubt that the way, by the way we feel. We could very easily cry out to paraphrase the psalmist's words, oh God, who am I that you would even consider me? I cannot believe that you would take a personal interest in me at all. The heavens are so immense, the moon and the stars are so awesome. How is it possible that you could care for me I am nothing and nobody compared to your cosmic immensity. At times, and this is what he said, and I, I echo his sentiment. At times, when I've been flying over an inhabited city, I'm amazed at what low, altitude, at what low altitudes one loses sight of human beings. At 10,000 feet, you can't even see them. Imagine a few light years distance why our planet is hardly visible, and yet, God, you say that you take note of me. God knows us intimately. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Incredible. The point of these verses is to show that God did not give dominion to rule and steward the earth and its angels. He gave it to men. That he gave it to us as small as we are is something. We are made, he says. He quotes in Hebrews and he says in Psalms, we are made a little lower than the angels. They dwell in heavenly realms, we do not. They are powerful being, more powerful beings than we are, yet God has crowned us with glory and honor. How is, that way, how is that true? 
Well, two ways come to mind that we're made in God's image is something of honor. We're made in God's image. Every person that's ever lived is made in God's image. They have intrinsic value because they are made in God's image. From conception, they are made in God's image. Second, what's stated in the next verse gives us some clue where it says, and did set them over the work of thine hands. We are honored as human beings with being made in his image and being given stewardship over his creation. Look at verse 8. He says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him. I'm getting to my point here. God has put the entire world under the dominion of mankind and really in his original intention left nothing out. Although less powerful than angels, God gave the dominion to man and not to them. There was no part of the earth that mankind did not have the ability and uh, responsibility to administrate. In the dominion mandate, God gives the whole planet to Adam and his descendants to be under this subjection. Yet there is in these verses, but now. Do you see it? Do you see verse 8? You've given all things under his feet, but now, what does he say? We see not all things put under him. What does this mean? What does this mean? We have been incapable of fulfilling this God-given position and ability, this stewardship. The world has been cursed because of our sin. The old preacher, preacher J. Vernon McGee said this, Man, however, as we see him today, is not capable of ruling. Who agrees with that? He is demonstrating this in all the capitals of the world, so much so that it makes me bow my head in shame. Man cannot rule, but he thinks he can. He has adopted Satan's viewpoint. He is, he is attempting to rule without God. God could bless our nation today, and he blessed it in the past when men recognize their dependence on God. But man in and of himself is not capable of ruling, end quote. God's intention was that man would have dominion over the creation. So God gave him the sun to shine upon him. God gave him the moon to direct his paths. God gave him the flowers to give fragrance to the earth. God gave the birds to sing beautiful songs. God gave the animals to serve man. God intended that man have dominion. That was God's purpose in, his, in the creation. Clothed in glory, Mankind clothed in glory and given dominion. But in these verses, we're told that God's original plan and intention for man was, then in the last sentence, he says, referring to brokenness, but now we see not yet all things put under him. There are four important words in that last sentence, but now, not yet. Do you see it? But now, not yet. This could sum up the book of Genesis at some level, right? God has given man dominion, but because of man's sin, God's original intention has been broken. God, mankind was stripped of his glory, and we know that because you know Romans 3.23. What does it say? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Mankind walked with God in the cool of the day. After sin, this fellowship was broken. God's glory was removed from his life in that way. Instead of evolution, instead of man starting lower and going higher, what you really have is demolition. 
Man was up and he fell down. Man was a lot higher than he is now. Man has fallen all the way from glory to nakedness. Man has fallen all the way from dominion to slavery. The glory has been removed. We don't have dominion in the way we once did. Any fishermen out there? How are you doing at controlling the fish? What about the wild animals? We have lion tamers who tame a lion, but if you turn your head the wrong way, the lion rips your arm off. Domesticated animal. My dog is fascinated with socks. I can't get my dumb dog to stop eating socks. My wife can't get me to keep my socks off the ground. Right? I'm letting you in a little bit to our house and what goes on there. The animals have been subject to the loss of glory that happened after the curse of sin and the world's under that curse. Curse, thorns and thistles, weeds that choke, animals that are wild, that kill and destroy, that can't be controlled. And, And worse than all that, have you noticed? Mankind can't even control himself. We fight and steal and deceive and delude and embarrass and destroy. You'll never understand what man is until you understand that man is a sinner in desperate need of a savior. That explains why people do what they do. It explains why people act like they do. It explains why people say the things they do. It explains the contradiction in people's behavior. Man is a fallen creature. The glory has been removed, but now not yet. So, we see stage two. Stage two is glory revealed. Glory removed, glory revealed. Look at verse nine. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. How beautiful is that sentence? This is what's being uh, revealed about Jesus in the case, especially as compared with angels. It says here, who was made a little lower than the angels. This is the expression about mankind found in the psalm that was already referenced in verse 7. When it said he was made a little lower than the angels, it's saying that he was made a human being. Jesus is God. Who agrees? Jesus is God. Jesus is also man. He's man too. He was made a little lower than the angels. When it says that, it's saying he was made a human being. John 1 tells us, speaking of Christ, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In eternity past, he was not incarnate, but in his revelation through the incarnation, he became flesh. Why did this happen? It says it right there in the verse. Do you see it? It says he was made a man for the suffering of death. Why was Jesus made man? He was made man so he could die. To die, he had to become human. He had to die so because uh, he had to die because he alone could redeem man. He alone was sinless. What's the author saying about this Jesus made human so we could die? He's pointing out that this Jesus is now crowned with glory and honor. God has honored Jesus because of his personhood and his obedience. He came to earth and died for us, and so God has highly exalted him, as the scripture says. The grace of God towards us meant that Christ should taste death for every man. 
For who? For every man. What about woman? Yes, that includes you, you sinful women. <laughs> Amen? I just isolated half the crowd, right? Yes. The word taste does not mean that Jesus did not fully die. It does not mean that he only experienced the pangs of death. No, he truly died. He truly experienced the wrath of God and separation from God for us. It was not permanent. Praise God, he, he raised from the dead, having defeated death, hell, and the grave. The death was for everybody. Certainly Christ's substitutionary death on the cross is sufficient for every sinner to be saved. Jesus died for you. He died for you. Why did he become made? Why was he made a little lower than the angels? So that he could die to pay for your sin. But only but it, it, he is sufficient for every sinner, but efficient to those who trust in him by faith. The Savior is revealed as better than the angels, it is better than the angels, and being made man a little lower than the angels, and then so doing, revealing God's glory and salvation to the world. Christ died for you. Don't let it get past you. Christ died for me. He's the only one who could. It happened because he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. A right response to this truth is trust. It's worship. It's repentance. It's humility. We do not deserve the glory. Jesus does. Our glory was removed because of sin. Christ has revealed God's glory through his identity, through his revelation of who, who God is, and through his obedience to God and his death on the cross for us. God's glory has been revealed and has been revealed because God became a man. Jesus Christ is very God of very God and is now and forever will be man. So you see stage one, glory removed. Stage two, glory revealed. Here's the good part. Please get excited about this. Stage three, glory restored. Amen. Glory restored. <laughs> These are now some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Listen to them. For it became him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now there's a lot to unpack there. Let's talk about it. For it became him. Means that it was fitting. The word became means fitting. If, if you've heard, you heard somebody say, uh, when a guy's being really smooth, he says to a wife, that, that, that dress is very becoming on you. It, 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 it adorns you well. It makes you look good. It fits you just right. That's kind of the idea here. It was fitting. It became him. He says, for whom are all by, by things, for whom are all things, by whom are all things. It's talking about God. It was it was something that would bring him glory. It became him. It was something that was fitting. It was something that would bring him glory. It was in keeping with his excellent name and his nature in this beautiful way. God the Father, who is creator and sustainer and ruler and owner of the universe, what was fitting for him? What was in keeping with his name? Something that would bring him glory? Look at what it says. It was fitting for him 
in bringing many sons to glory. Who's he talking about? Raise your hand if he's talking about you. Yeah. It was beautiful for him in bringing us to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect. The, the idea here is the, the, this word captain, um, the same word is used in other places in Scripture talking about author or initiator or leader or source. Another way of saying it would be source of their salvation. Who is he talking about? He's talking about his dear son who was made a little lower than the angels. He's talking about Jesus. And he says that Jesus is the captain, the originator, the author of our salvation. And he says, he says it was fitting for him to make him perfect through suffering. What became God is bringing the human race back to glory, restoring in a relationship with God by the perfecting, it says, of the author of their salvation. Now, you might be asking, and I hope you do, wasn't Jesus already perfect? Who here believes Jesus never sinned? He, he couldn't sin. See, he was born without a sin nature. That's why he was born of a virgin. He was born without a sin nature. You're not dismissed your sin. You know why? Here's why. Jesus says, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. See, Jesus didn't just come for no reason. He was sent. What does that mean, sent? That means he had something to do. God tasked him with something to do. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. So when God was made flesh, he was sent to do something. He was sent to live a perfect life, and Jesus did do that. He was sent to reveal who God was to man. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto the prophets, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these days spoken to us by his Son. He, there was a revealing aspect to it. But it says, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus came to die. And there was, an, there was something that he had to do. There was a time where, even though he was perfect, there was something that he had to demonstrate obedience in. And we need to understand how difficult that was. Remember when he was in the garden before he went? to the cross and he prayed and he said Father if it be possible let this cup pass from me but then what did he say nevertheless not my will but thine be done see he had to he had to, is there a burden here that is awesome I'm ADD okay he, he had something to accomplish and he had to demonstrate that obedience. So in the sense that he was, he was obedient even unto death, even the death on the cross, God was perfecting him in that way. Not perfecting him because there was something imperfect that needed to be made perfect, but that there was an obedience to accomplish. And here's the good news. He did it. Amen. He accomplished it. 
He did exactly what he came to do. He was obedient, the Bible says, unto death, even the death on the cross. So God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I didn't quote it right, but you get the idea. He was made perfect, how? Through suffering. Christ was already perfect in his divine nature. In his human nature, he was perfected through obedience, which included the suffering that he came to endure. We see Jesus experience that even dealing with that, not only in the cross, but like I said, in that high priestly prayer. There is a sense that Christ understood the difficulty and intensity of the suffering and death that he would experience. It was not merely the physical pain that he would endure, but the suffering of the wrath of God for sin, for the sin of the whole world that made the whole experience massively and incredibly difficult. It was though, but here's the point. Are you with me? This is so important. It was through that obedience and righteousness fulfilled and expressed that we could be made righteous. It was through Christ's obedience that we're made right with God and brought to glory. This is how the glory that we have been crowned with in creation, spoken of in verse 7, can be restored. Here's what I'm saying. Look at verse 11. Here's, this is so beautiful. For both he that sanctifieth, who is that? Jesus. And they who are sanctified, who's that? Us who are saved are all of one. What is he saying? Jesus is a human being. We're human beings. He was perfected and we are being perfected by his salvation and sufferings. We cannot become divine, but the divine became like us so that he could restore our relationship with God. Do you get it? How? How? He has become an understanding high priest who has been through what we've been through. Jesus has endured what you've endured. Jesus has gone through what you've gone through. And he died the death that you deserved after keeping the law that you did not keep and I did not keep. He also is a sacrifice that has appeased God's wrath. His righteousness is now imputed to believers when they put their trust in him. His righteousness becomes my righteousness. My sin be was put on him, and his righteousness is put to my account through faith in his name. And it says, because of that, look at what it says. For he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Because Jesus was made human, he's the son of God, and because he sanctified us, we become his brothers. God is our father, we're his son. Jesus is our brother. Did you hear that? Jesus is our brother. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. Where were we called, brethren? Verse 12, saying, again, when it says saying, now he's quoting back to Psalm, Psalm chapter 8, saying, I will declare thy name 
This is in Psalm 22, 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the assembly, the church. <laughs> will I sing praise unto thee? And again, I will put my trust in thee. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. <laughs> Where did he call his brethren? He did it prophetically in Psalm 22, 22 which is quoted here. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. You know why just a few minutes ago, you and I could offer praises to God that he, was, he would accept? It's because of Jesus. All of our righteousness are like filthy rags. Are you with me? All, of our, all the things we offer to God in and of ourselves to try to worship him, when we're in our sin trying to, in our own obedience, get to him, we're just offering him just dirty bandages. Leper's claws. That's what we're trying to offer him, and he can't accept it. You know what he can accept? The righteousness of his son. Because he understood that's the only thing we had to offer. He put his son to death so that we could be made right, so that then when we worship him, that glory is restored back. Now we can offer worship to God, and he accepts it because of what Jesus did in making us his brethren. Do you get it? Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we can be called the sons and daughters of God. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the God, man, Jesus Christ, we can be called brethren. Verse 13 expresses two cross-references. The first one, I will put my trust in him from 2 Samuel 22, 3. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. Jesus Christ is our high tower. It's when we put our trust in him and our, as our Savior that we're saved. The second one he refers to is Isaiah 8, 17 and 18, which says, And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth in Mount Zion. This is a prophetic passage saying that there will be those begotten of Jesus. There are those, they are the sons and daughters of God and therefore the brethren of the Christ that saves them. They, they, they are the brethren of the Christ that saves them. How will, the, how will they become sons and daughters and brethren? Through faith in the finished work of Christ, the Son of God on the cross and his wondrous resurrection. It is by his obedient suffering that we have been saved. His perfect his obedience is credited to our account. And when it is, what happens? The glory is restored. There was the first Adam, and then there's the second Adam. It, the first Adam sinned, and death passed upon all men because all have sinned. But now there's Christ. And because he was obedient, when we put our trust in him, his obedience becomes our obedience. He took our suffering and gave us his righteousness. You guys, this is amazing. And so, we ask the question that's asked in 1 John. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. God the Father, 
God the Son, the God-man, our brother, and God the Holy Spirit. What an incredible thing to be called the sons of God, the brothers of Jesus. What amazing love that God has given to us through his suffering that we can become his brethren. How did, how, how did he do it? He brought many sons. Isn't that what it says? Bringing many sons to glory. Miss Jan's going to go to the piano right now. We sang a song earlier called Behold the Wondrous Mystery. And I want you in a reverential moment to help me respond to the truths of what we've seen here in the singing of this song. This song referenced almost everything Hebrews referenced today. You can stay seated, but I want them to play this with us. It's called Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Put it up on the screen. Sing it with me. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the king. Listen to these words and sing them with me. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the day. He the theme of heaven's praises robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, look on flesh to ransom us. Come behold the wondrous mystery, he the perfect son of man. Come behold the wondrous mystery, he the perfect son of man. In his living, in his suffering, never trace no stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hellbound man. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption, see the Father's plan unfold. Behold the wondrous mystery Slain by death, the Son of God But the grave could never see 
Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. Every head bowed, every eye closed.